This is Wes Gear, formerly of Head PE, formerly of Corn, currently with Human, and the founder of Rock to Recovery. And you are listening to Bradley's House Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. Come on in and make yourself at home as you should when you're a guest in Bradley's house. I am your co-host, Jared Orr. She is the executive director of the Knoll Family Foundation. Now our host, Ms. Kelly Noel. Kelly, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jared. I have to be honest, we just came off of four days of incredible stuff between the show that we did, the benefit show at Alex's last Thursday, and then Cali Vibes this past weekend. It was incredible. And I feel this, these conflicting things. I have like this, this high of just being around all these people and getting to meet all these people and talk to people that I knew from social media, but had never seen face to face. And yet at the same time, every muscle and bone in my body is screaming obscenities at me. Yeah. <laughs> it, me it's I'm been... too old for this shit, but other than that. It was, uh, it's been a crazy couple of days and, yeah. uh, again, so thankful for everybody who came out and supported at Alex's and came and visited us at the booth and yes. uh, it, it was just awesome. The weather held up great. So, um, I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk a little bit more uh, about Cali vibes, but I am also excited for another amazing guest today in Bradley's house and so fortunate for all the different uh, guests that we get to have on and speak to and uh, hear some stories. And it looks like you lined up another amazing guest today. Who's our house guest, Kelly? Today we have someone that was recommended by someone that I feel so privileged to know. Yasad Williams, the drummer for the amazing band Pepper, who killed it this last weekend at Cali Vibes, by the way. Um, Yasad Williams is on our board of directors for the foundation. And at our last board meeting, we were talking about the podcast. And, you know, I always throw it out there every board meeting. Hey, if anybody has any ideas for guests for the podcast, that'd be great. And he said, oh, you need to talk to my friend, Sean. And uh, you know what's so funny is I just... I have so much respect for Yasad. Anything he says, I'm like, okay. So I go, okay. So, you know, he connected me with Sean. They reached out to him, booked it. And then I realized yesterday, like, I, I don't even know Sean's last name. I know nothing about him except that Yasad said he would be a great guest. So I texted Yasad really quick and I'm like, um, could you at least like give me his last name so I can get a little info? And, and I did read one interview that he'd done and just was so excited. Not that I ever thought Yasad would steer us wrong, but, um, but, our guest today is really, he's got an incredible story, and I'm so excited that he's here to share it with us. He's a Venice Beach artist, mental health professional. He's in recovery. He's a collector of vintage. I'm really excited personally to get to know today Sean Kushner. Sean, thank you for being with us. Uh, my pleasure. Any Anybody that you saw kind of points me to, I know are good people. So right, that's how I feel. That's exactly <laughs> how I feel. Now, how did you meet you saw? Let's just start with that. Cause if we uh, actually, person. Just from uh, mutual friends from surfing, I actually mm. ran into him at the beach and, you know, met him, got to know him, and just been friends ever since. He's a wonderful human being, isn't he? He really is. He's yeah. a gem. He is. Yeah, and, I agree. And, 
they were amazing at Cali Vibes last night. Um, I Pepper just put on an amazing show. And to anybody that's listening, uh, especially to the guys, if you haven't seen a Pepper show live, dude, they will get you laid. I'm telling you right <laughs> now. It, they did an amazing... They did such an amazing job <laughs> at at romancing the the girls for the guys. It was so. I'm just giving a tip to our listeners, Kelly. Okay, sometimes they give you personal tips. Yeah, I'm glad that we could be helpful. But <laughs> yeah, they that, did do a great job. Not not gonna lie, I took my now fiance to one of their shows before oh. we got engaged. So it, everything you just said, hundred <laughs> percent factual. <laughs> Thank you for validating that. See? Yeah. (laughs) All right. So let's start with where are you originally from, Sean? Let's take it back to the beginning. Take it back. Way (laughs) back. Uh, (laughs) So I was actually, I was born in Clearwater Beach, Florida. I was born at uh, Morton Plant Hospital, which is a hospital on the beach. So I think the the beach vibes have have been kind of implanted ever since I was little. But uh, grew up there up until I was about uh 11 or 12 and then we moved to south florida where i I grew up for the rest of my life so grew up in uh boca raton delray beach area okay big family uh not a huge family it's i got two brothers and a sister and my parents which you know we we were the only ones down in south florida for the most part so it was just pretty much us got you know extended family but they're all yeah nice peaceful idyllic childhood (laughs) <laughs> uh pretty pretty wild childhood to be honest um give us the highlights just for highlights. the frame of reference of where you're coming from um you know not to like divulge too much about you know anybody in particular's history on a public platform but sure. you know i grew up i grew up in a, a household where you know there was a lot of uh you know addiction issues but a lot of love too so sure you know, it was, a lot of chaos and, you know, breeding grounds for a lot of different things that led me to where I, you know, I went. But uh, for the most part, I had, there was a lot of love in, in my household. So, That's you know, awesome. amidst the chaos, there was a lot of love. Sure. You know, we can't always help the chaos, but it's nice to have the love as a solid foundation, huh? It, yeah. And it's funny because it's like, you know, when you're growing up and it, you know, you, they're always like, oh, it's it's my parents' fault for this or that or, mm. you know, whatever. But the reality was, it's like, you know, I'm so blessed to have the parents that I do. And I, I see that, you know, I'm 40 now. So I look back mm. and, like, my parents were early 20s with four kids. And, you know, wow. they did a fucking epic job with, you know, considering all the different things that they were trying to put together and figure out and do, like, with, you know, raising four kids and doing what they did. So young, yeah. like I look at, you know, I'm 40 now and, you know, I'm, you know, I just found out I have my first child on the way. And it's, oh, it's congratulations. Thank you. And it's true because at 40, I'm like, how did they do it? I've got two <laughs> dogs and I'm like, <laughs> you went to that so... pepper concert. And... <laughs> That's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. It definitely changes your perspective as you get older. You realize, you know, things are not as easy as they seem like they should be when you're younger. Exactly. Yeah. So. so you're very vocal about your recovery. And of course we here at Bradley's <laughs> house really appreciate that. One of our, one of my big goals personally with this podcast, not only to help raise awareness about the foundation and Bradley's house, but also to help destigmatize addiction, because I do believe that it's just, you know, part of being human. It's just, 
you know, we all struggle with things. And for some people, they struggle with addiction and it shouldn't be any better or worse than anybody else. And so um, thank you for being willing to be so open. Can you tell us how you first got into drugs and how, how did you fall down that hole? Uh, so for me, it was, you know, it started off, you know, eighth grade where you kind of, you go to the fair with your friends and you, you drink for the first time. And, you know, I was like honor student and, you know, I went public school system, honor student. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't really know compared to like some of the other stuff I've, I've seen over the years, like not the best school system, but I did, you know, I was in the honors program and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I drank for the first time and then I really enjoyed it. And all those uncomfortable feelings of, you know, growing up and feeling like I didn't fit in, feeling like, you know, I didn't have the playbook for life or just different things that I think that, you know, addicts or or just kids in general, you know, sometimes we people grow up and they don't really feel like they have the playbook for life or they feel like Mm. they don't fit in. They're insecure. And I was I was all those things. I was insecure. I was you know, unsure because I was, you know, I, I moved schools a lot. I was picked on as like a young kid and I had to change schools a few times. So there was like just different things that kind of made my self-esteem and everything yeah. else a breeding ground for looking for something to get out of myself, to feel different, to feel, mm. you know, cause I just like the anxiety and everything that was kind of mixed in. And I think actually, you know, I'll take it back even further. Um, like sixth grade, I was put on Ritalin and Prozac because Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I had issues with school and, you know, I was disruptive and I was just, there was a lot of, you know, like unease inside of me as a person. Um, And I didn't really know how to channel that. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I acted out in school and stuff like that. And um, they put me on like Ritalin and Prozac and that made me kind of crazy. And then I got put on some other prescriptions and that segued into kind of, knowing that like different chemicals can make you feel different ways. Mm. And um, it went on, you know, eighth grade, I started drinking and then ninth grade honors student and got introduced. I broke my ankle because I skate, you know, skateboard and did a bunch of, you know, aggressive sports. I still skate, surf and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I broke my ankle and got introduced to pain pills. And then it kind of went from there where next thing you know, I'm, you know, smoking weed taking pills, taking acid, taking all the stuff that you try and just having a really good time. And by 10th grade of high school, I was put in, you know, like remedial courses by junior of high school, they were putting me in the classes to keep me from dropping out of high school. And by senior year, you know, it was, it was a wrap. I didn't even go to school my second semester of of high school for my senior year. Didn't walk with my class. And, you know, what a change from honors student. Yeah. So it's, it kind of just started off like that. It was like, you know, it started off as a good time. And then when, when the good times turn into, you know, the shame and remorse and the guilt that come with, you know, different things that come from your using, then you have to like, I feel like me personally, I just had to cover it up with, with doing more and then more and then more. And then I felt like I couldn't get out. And I was Mm. constantly, it was just like, whack-a-mole. It was like, I, I, you know, took care of one issue and another one would pop up. And the only thing I knew how to, you know, feel okay was, was to use. And, and a lot of people, I don't think realize that, you know, addiction is, it's like, we're, we're not trying to like hurt the world. We're not trying to hurt ourselves. We, we really 
were sick. And a lot of people are like, why don't you just stop? It's like, because I can't, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and people don't get that. So it just, you know, it escalated very quickly and it just kind of started off as a good time. And then it was more just to kind of, you know, get me through the day without wanting, you know, because I had suicidal ideologies that started young. And it was just like trying to find any chemical to make me just feel like I could get through the day, you know. So that's That's how it started off. How did your family respond to all that? Um, I mean, my family, they, they all had a rough time. You know, I was like, everybody in, in my household was, uh, we all had our issues. So there was, you know, it was a sense of under the radar for the, for a long time because everybody was kind of partying in my household. Mm-hmm. Um, there were issues with my, my brother, you know, there were overdoses and stuff like that. Oh, in the family. Wow. And every, you know, everybody survived and okay. it was kind of just, um, you know, I was a problem child, but everybody else was kind of dealing with their own stuff. So it was kind of like, what do we do? Nobody really knew what to do. So it just kind of kept going and going and going until, you know, nobody knew what to do, but right. they knew they had to stop it, but it was too late. And then the next thing you know, I'm, you know, too far gone. So, oh wow. And then at what point did you realize that you needed to make some changes or at what point were you willing to start making some changes? Um, so, you know, I was heavily into to opiates and um, benzos and, and drinking. I started having seizures at like 19, 20 years old, like oh, grandma wow. seizures and totaling cars. And like I totaled oh, six cars, wow. lost my license, was having grandma seizures in the front yard where like my little brother's you know, pulling me off the the front lawn with like half mm. my tongue missing to put me in an ambulance and then waking oh, up at the gosh. hospital, like, what, what, how do I end up here? Wow. And, uh, <laughs> and so it was like, I knew that like, I needed help. I knew that I wanted to stop, but I just couldn't stop. Couldn't sure. stop, you know, like the, the feelings of unease that were deep rooted in me and just, you know, everything that comes along with being addicted. I just, I could not stop and I wanted to, you know, for years I wanted to, and it kind of, it was, it got to that breaking point where, you know, I was at one point I ended up homeless and I'm, you know, running around with, with people that were selling drugs and, you know, I started getting in trouble, getting arrested. And I just, I grew up in a household of love and despite, you know, different things that I, I used to blame for why I was the way I was they weren't really, you know, my, my issues were my fault. My issues were, were completely self-made and I had to take responsibility eventually for, you know, how I ended up, but, you know, I wanted to blame everybody, but eventually I got to that point where I was like, damn, this is not the way I want to live anymore. Like, I really Mm -hmm. don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live this way. I don't want to be on, you know, I don't want to be sleeping on the streets or under a beach tower, you know, where I'm getting eaten by sand fleas. Like, I didn't oh, grow up in a household where, you know, I, I, I was raised better than that. It's like right. in my head is what like the thing that used to, you know, whisper into my conscience was like, you're raised better than this. Like, you're better than this. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this to yourself? So eventually I, I asked for help, you know, and started doing like a run of detoxes and trying to do that whole thing where, you know, you go to a detox, get off the opiates and, you know, get out of detox and you're like, okay, like, 
you know, the homies are picking me up from detox. I'll smoke weed and drink a 40 with them because that's not the real issue. And like, that was the issue. It was an all encompassing thing. It's like one thing led to another. And that's the other thing. A lot of people don't really understand, you know, in my experience, you know, one thing always leads to another. Yeah. For a lot of people, those things kind of go together. Once they start smoking weed and drinking, then it leads to the other things that they were used to doing with it before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Once your inhibitions are gone from, you know, they're lowered from, you know, from the one, it's like, eventually I'm going to go back to doing the stuff that I really like to do. Mm. So how many times did you detox? Uh, I went through four detoxes before I actually went to like my first rehab. So mm-hmm. I would do like the, you know, the five day shuffle, go in, they medicate you and get you off, you know, the opiates or whatever by using different opiates. So it's like this crazy system where, you know, they put you on methadone for a few days, you get out. You're, so instead of detoxing off heroin or oxys or whatever else you're doing, then you're, you know, you're detoxing off of methadone. So it's like until you have, you know, like an extended amount of clean time, like you're you're still just you've got it all still in your system. So I would get out and I'd be like, oh, I'm feeling good because, you know, it's like I'm not, you know, completely just obliterated. I'm, you know, I got to the point where they got the dose downs, you know, in those five or seven days of detoxing that I started feeling better and feeling like a normal human being. So I'm like, okay, I can go back into the world. But the reality Mm. was it's like. No, I could not because I was working. Yeah, I was working construction and, you know, you get out and you're out in the heat. And the next thing you know, you're detoxing hard from the detox. And Mm. the only way you know how to feel better is you go get loaded again. Yeah. So it was like this crazy cycle. So I I do think it's wonderful that you continued to try. You know, some people will go to detox once and then they relapse and think, oh, I can't do it. I screwed up, you know. But I do think it's all about just, you know, keep going until it works. Keep going till you reach that point where you're willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is there's a lot of people I see that, you know, they would give up and I don't, I couldn't even tell you why, like what was inside of me that was different from like the next person where there was Mm -hmm. something inside me that was always like, you've, you've got to stop this. You've got to stop this. You're going to die. Like there was a, there was a voice in my head that I think some people just don't have. Mm-hmm. And I thank God because, you know, now like I'm, I'm almost 15 years sober. So it's like wow. 15 years later, I look back and I'm like, damn, I was like, well, you know, what's it like, what had, what made me have the voice, but like somebody else who like, you know, believe in God or had, had religion or the church or whatever they were into, but they just, they couldn't stop and they gave up. You yeah. know, I don't, it's trippy. I don't know what that's about. I, I feel like there's there's different paths for everybody and it's all about finding what what will work for you at the right time, at the right moment of desperation or whatever it is, you know. But mm-hmm. um yeah, as long as it works and I that's why I always encourage people, you know, it doesn't matter if, if whatever you've done hasn't worked twenty times, try something else, try something the twenty first time. That might be what saves your life. Exactly. And yeah. and I did and eventually you know, one thing stuck. And the people, it's funny because it's always, I had some really good people around me. And, you know, some people, you know, like they, they'll, they say God, or some people say the universal spirit. Some people say, you know, nature, whatever you want to call it. But I feel like the universe protected me and put the right mm-hmm. people in my life. And the window of opportunity came and I had the right people to guide me. And 
you know, and I'm very fortunate because I saw a lot of people that did not and they didn't make it. So, yeah, that's powerful. So how'd you make it out to California from Florida? (laughs) So I actually, so I got, um, I got sober in Florida. I went to a rehab. I went to this like state run facility called Bark. It's like lockdown, gnarly detox. And, you know, I saw these guys come in and they brought in an AA meeting and they were just, you know, at this point, like, I'm like a big dude. I'm like 200 pounds. I'm pretty stocky, you know, 5'11". And uh, I'm like, I've always been a a pretty big dude. Mm -hmm. And before I went to the, you know, I got to that detox, I was like 155 pounds. I was a skeleton. I was, you know, green skin and throwing up outside of this, this detox because the state run detoxes, you have to prove that you're willing to do anything to get into them. And uh, my little brother, like, you know, God bless him too. He, he made sure I got in there. I was sleeping outside this place for a couple of days. He came and checked on me and made sure I got into this place. And wow, I was like 155 pounds, green, like ready to die. And I hadn't eaten at all. Couldn't hold any food down. I got oh into this God. place. They medicated me. And this time, the thing that was different is these guys brought in this meeting and they were just like super happy dudes. Like, like they had, they had an alter perception. Like they had gone through something that made them, you know, happy and bringing in meetings to this like state run detox psych ward. And I was just like, what are these dudes so happy about? Like, what is there to be happy about in life? Like, life sucks. Like, this this world sucks. Everything sucks. I was like, I hate everybody. I hate everything. I was like, what do they have, so, you know, to be so happy about? And I listened to them, and I went and talked to them after. And I was like, you know, what's what's your all's deal? Like, why are you all so happy? Like, what are you all so shiny about? And they were like, <laughs> and they kind of broke it down. They're like, well, you know, we got sober, and and our lives changed by, and now we're, we're bringing in meetings because this is service work. I was like, service work. I was like, y'all are some clowns. And, um, I was like, y'all are some clowns. I was like, whatever service work. I was like, cool guys. And I was like, all right, well, what do I need to do to be happy? I was like, cause I'm sick of living this way. And he's like, you should go to rehab for as long as you can. And, you know, and join, you know, a recovery program. I chose, you know, AA. And, you know, I'll out myself in that one. Like it's, I don't mind anybody knowing that I'm in that program, but, um, you know, I went, I went to a rehab and I started going to meetings and I started realizing like, oh shit, I was like, I'm getting happier. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I started doing that whole deal. And, um, so there's like the 12 steps, which is, you know, they recommend you going through and I didn't do those. Cause I thought that I was different from everybody else. I thought I, you know, I figured it out and I had like, you know, I was going on like a year clean or whatever and thought, you know, my ego took back and I ended up relapsing. And, um, I ended up in California because I ended up in a situation where, um, a guy that I relapsed with, you know, I was running around with drug dealers again. And it's just all like within three months of relapsing, I, you know, I, in that year, I I'd gotten a girlfriend, I got a new place, got a new car, got a good job, and I was doing well. And within three months of relapsing, I was right back to like getting arrested in my car, you know, for oh, sleeping wow. in my car because I nodded off. And and wow. then uh, and I started hanging out with this dude who was a friend from high school. His mom was murdered. Um, oh. So this is like a still an unsolved case too. Wow. So his mom was murdered. We don't really know 
exactly what happened, but I was with him, you know, the day before it happened. And then the day it happened, um, I wasn't with him, but he told the police I was his alibi and I got pulled into this whole gnarly situation. And, you know, long story short, he, he was staying with me. We're, we're doing drugs. And I had the FBI like outside my place watching us. And oh like, gosh. so if you're like, at this point, I'm smoking Coke, smoking crack or whatever. And, and like doing, you know, smoking heroin. And so like, when you're high and you get paranoid, you think like the people are watching you, but when they are mm-hmm. actually watching you, it's like this heightened level of insanity. <laughs> wow. So I was like, I was losing my mind. And I was just like, oh my God, I was like, I'm going to go to prison. I don't know what, what this is about. And I basically, you know, asked my parents, I was like, please get me out of here. I was like, I've got to get out of here. And, uh, you know, my mom reached out to somebody and, you know, somebody that helped me, like when I first got sober the first time, this guy, this Sarge, his name is, um, he's actually like a big, he's a, he's a comedian. He's like a, a big dude, like big, giant guy, big, giant personality. Mm-hmm. He's half black, half Jewish, really funny dude. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this guy saved my life multiple times. And wow. he, he set it up to where I got into a place out in California and they got me out of here. And like the FBI was trying to extradite me from, from rehab back to Florida. Oh, but gosh. I ended up in Cali because I was running from, from that. So, yeah. and here I wow. am, you know, wow. 15 years later. So it worked. Thank God. Right. My goodness. <laughs> Probably something to be said for getting out of your environment to get yeah. healthy. Right. I mean, it's, it's funny because people say like, oh, you're just doing, you're pulling a geographic. So like at that point I had to. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think that leaving your, like your your zone that you got loaded in and starting over fresh somewhere else like some people say oh it's you know that's not like this that's not the strongest thing that you should be able to do wherever you are but for me it's like i needed a geographic i had to get away from all my old friends all my old acquaintances all my old people start over somewhere brand new and and do a whole new life and it worked for me yeah, nothing changes just by changing your location, but yeah. when you're willing to put in the work and actually exactly. change, sometimes a, a different location is what, what makes it stick, what makes it effective and keeps you from getting sucked back in too quickly. Yeah, 100% for me personally. And so how did the art start? What Were you always artistic? <laughs> were you always doing stuff or was that a later thing? Uh, so I was always like artistic. I mean, I've been you know, painting and doing that kind of stuff since I was little. Um, and my, my little brother actually went to an art school. He was, you know, super, super talented, uh, totally different artistic styles from me. He could literally like copy a picture of something and, you know, and put it into a drawing or a painting wow. He's in totally different style. Incredible. I always like looked up to him as an artist, like growing up and I just never really had like, that skill set I always just kind of made weird stuff and um so I never really kind of went down like the whole artist road until um basically you know doing graffiti and stuff growing up and and kind of took a break from all that when I got sober this time and kind of was just like all right I don't really know how to paint or do anything creative or in that creative space with, you know, without doing drugs. Like I didn't know how to to draw or, or paint or do anything without being high. Like I felt like I couldn't do it. I felt like there was, you know, unless I like at least smoked a joint or something, I can't 
you know, cre- I can't create. I didn't have like mm. the flow or whatever. So I, I stopped for many years. And then, you know, I was, I was, I think it was about maybe eight years, eight or nine years sober. Um, one of my friends is a professional surfer and he, he used to paint on his surfboards and, you know, I surfed with him a lot. And I, I just, one day I used painting on a surfboard and after, you know, eight or nine years, 10 years of not making anything creatively, um, I started painting on surfboards and that kind of started it where I was like, Oh wow. Ah. And, um, I was like, Oh, this feels great. This is like an art, you know, an outlet because I was working in the mental health field. Um, and I was dealing with a lot of high stress situations dealing with, with, you know, working with addicts and people that are mentally ill, there was like no real outlet. So I, yeah. you know, I go surf or skate or work out, but like there was no like release for me mentally in a sense of, you know, that I was missing, there was something missing. So, and I kind of just, one day I was painting on my surfboards. Next thing I know, I'm, you know, painting on a canvas and I found that out that I'd, I'd had when I was younger that like, you know, where you kind of escape, like my first real addiction was like escapism, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, fantasizing, escaping through, you know, doodling or whatever, reading comic books, kind of stuff like that. And that kind of, came back and I realized oh shit that's what I've been missing all these mm. years kind of started you know painting again and then just kind of went full force with it and you know I've been doing the the two I I, I work in the mental health field still and I also been kind of just going full speed ahead with the art stuff and kind of balancing them together and it's, it's given me a lot of you know balance with like happiness mixed with the two things because you know working just in mental health it's like it can be really draining. Sure. Um, you get your positive stuff where you get, you know, get to help somebody and see them, you know, the light turn on in their, in their mind and in their eyes and you see them get their life together and you see them succeed. And, you know, and then you have the other types that don't want it. They don't want the help and they want to make your life miserable because they feel you're trying to force them to, to, to change or get better. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's like they're, like their game is to make you as miserable as possible for trying to help them. So, mm, wow. That's intense. So yeah. So the balance of the two things, it's been super fun. It's, it's like, it works for me personally. Yeah. It's so important to have some sort of an outlet. I know for, yeah. you know, some people it can be creating art <laughs> or music or, you know, exercise or whatever, you know, pets or, you know, something, but just something that you can, focus on to get you outside of yourself and out of your head for a bit. 1000%. Yeah. And, um, so your Instagram bio says you are a collector of vintage. (laughs) What kind of vintage things do you collect? I mean, I just, I love everything vintage for the most part, you know, vintage t-shirts. I like collecting my, one of my big things is, uh, old school pharmaceutical rep stuff because you know as like a riddling kid and stuff like that you know just the promo shit they used to give out oh yeah i've got some just weird stuff just weird trinkets and stuff from back in the day that you know they would give out at offices to like try to promote their drugs give it out to different psychiatrists or whatever like you know just the weird shit they would give to to promote whatever pharmaceutical drug they were trying to press on the masses at the time. 
Mm-hmm. So I've got like a crazy collection of just like Prozac, Ritalin, Viagra stuff, just weird shit like wow. that. Wow. Like advertisements and stuff? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's cool. What a what a niche kind of a thing, like so specific. Yeah. So that's cool. How far back? Like are we talking? I mean, obviously with Ritalin, that kind of thing, you can't go too far, but um, how far back do your interests go with the vintage stuff? All the way back. Like wow. as far back as possible. I, I love it all. But That's like awesome. the, 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 the stuff that really kind of, you know, really hits with me is like the controversial stuff, you know, the, mm. the different controversial meds that, um, you know, they were introduced to the masses like Adderall and Ritalin. Yeah. Like a wonder you know. drug when they were introduced. Yeah. Yeah. All the stuff that they like put these kids on. They're like, oh, this is going to solve all of their studying issues. But then mm-hmm. meanwhile, like, I'm like, personally, I was on Adderall, snorting my Adderall, getting all yeah. you know high. And I was like, yeah, really helped me with my studies. Let me tell you, no, really helped you like stay awake and drink longer is what it did. <laughs> right, right. That reminds me so much of the, the opioids that were being pushed, you know, 10, 15 years ago, non-addictive, you know, this is the answer for pain relief and that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden it's like, oops, sorry. I guess we were wrong about that whole addiction thing. <laughs> yeah. That show dope sick. Did you see that? No, I, I oh haven't. I've been meaning to, it's just, it's such a difficult subject for me because yeah. my brother struggled with that. And so, um, sometimes I just get too, um, it just really, really hits me hard. And so I've had that on my list of things to watch for a while. I've heard it's really powerful. And it's, it's crazy because, uh, you know, your brother's music, um, you know, I'm 40. So it's like, I grew up, I grew up listening to that. Yeah. And I remember when, when he passed away and there has always been that, you know, knowing that, that people that you look up to in the different fields, like, you know, musicians, artists, people that you look up to that, you know, they pass from the stuff that you're doing. It, it, it always rang true for me. I was just like, I don't, you know. Like, I don't want to, to die, but like, I can't yeah. stop. And, you know, watching people you look up to, they, you know, lose their lives from it. It's just, you know, it's crazy. It's so, tough. I remember yeah. talking to Brad about what happened with Kurt Cobain and his struggles and stuff. And um, it, it's interesting because I've heard from people since then who say, because of what happened to Brad, you know, I got clean or whatever. And I, I love that. That makes me so happy. It's just, you just never know, you know, if, if hearing about something is going to be enough for someone to make a change versus like you said, you know, you hear about it, but you can't stop, you know, you're still stuck in that addiction and it's not always enough to get you to do what you need to do. Yeah. So you're engaged. Congratulations. (laughs) Baby on the way. When's the baby due? August 23rd. Oh my goodness, getting close. <laughs> How exciting. So, Do you know yet if it's a boy or a girl? It's a baby girl. Do you have a name picked out? I don't. You know Kelly is a lovely choice. That's a beautiful <laughs> choice. I mean, I'm I'm Irish. Irish and well, there you go. <laughs> Irish, French, and Russian. <laughs> and she is Native American. And oh. we've got like this crazy mix. So we're going to think of something weird. That's for sure. Kelly's yeah. good. <laughs> Kelly might not be weird enough. 
Although my parents were kind enough to make it with an IE. So to ensure that I would never <laughs> have anything with my, you know, personalized as a child, but <laughs> not that I'm bitter, but you know, all my friends had those like little license plates on the back of their bicycles with their name on it. <laughs> they never had one with a Kelly with an IE. We just want to make you feel like you're special because you can't Thank get you. anything at a gas station that has right. your name on it. <laughs> exactly. So when you met Yassad, were you a Pepper fan? Did you know about the music? Were you into that kind of music? I grew up listening to Pepper. I grew up ah. listening to Pepper. I, I love their music growing up. And what's funny is when I met him, I had no clue who he was. So it was a trip because, you know, many years, like I, I grew up listening to them and everything, but I didn't realize he who he was when I first met him. And it was like, probably a month of talking and going surfing and, and stuff like that before I wow. realized who it was. Oh my gosh. It How was, was that you know, moment? <laughs> I, I mean, when I finally realized, I was like, no way. <laughs> I'm like, no way. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's so unassuming and unpretentious and he just seems like the coolest person you could ever meet. And then you find out how talented he is and you know, how, how well known he is. And it's really a trip. And super humble. Like, I had right? absolutely no idea. That <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. Uh, I grew up listening <laughs> to you, bro. But, like, you know, I don't want to, like, fan out. And right. Be like, <laughs> but I'm like, when I finally found out, I was like, hey, bro. So, uh, yeah, man, I like your music, bro. But, like, <laughs> down, I'm like, I took my girlfriend to see you guys when I was, like, 19. Oh, my gosh. That's, That's awesome. So <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So if people want to check out your art, where can they find that? Um, I mean, my Instagram is probably, I'm not like the best with, um, I'm, I think social media wise, Sean mm-hmm. Cook Instagram is probably the best or, you know, that's, that's pretty much where I put everything. Right. Sean Cush, S-E-A-N-K-U-S-H. That's it. All right. Cool. So real quick, before we let you go, um, what do you think are some of the keys that have allowed you or just some things that have been helpful in allowing you to maintain your sobriety and, and keep moving forward with your recovery? What's been super helpful for that? Uh, for me personally, um, helping others has been a huge part of it. You know, when those guys brought in a meeting to that detox and I, I saw that was my first, you know, inclination that the giving back is something that's super important. I didn't realize that like down the road, it would be like, you know, I have been super fortunate in my life. Like I've built like a beautiful life and it doesn't matter what things I acquire. It doesn't matter what I have in the bank. None of that shit matters. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And that's, you realize that once you, once you start getting those things, but like nothing can make you feel, um, the way that giving back does, you know, mm. what you guys are doing and, and, you know, building something for, for people to find help and things of that nature. Like there's, no, there's nothing more rewarding or nothing that makes me feel better than, than helping people. Yeah. And so that's a huge part of it. And uh, for me personally, um, I personally go to AA meetings that helps me a lot. Um, I try to help people in that, that realm that helps me a lot. Um, I exercise that helps me a lot. Um, and I also have a creative outlet and for all the people that, mm. you know, be listening to this and feel like they can't be creative unless they get high or they feel like, you know, they can't find that, that zone to create in unless they're high and 
you know, I'm, I'm here to tell you there's a lot of people I know that are very successful artists that are sober or cleaned up. And um, I'm happy to talk to anybody anytime if they're having issues with trying to find that space or, you know, if they're struggling to kind of find their zone once if they're already sober or if they're scared of getting sober because of that. Um, I think that like the creative space is super important to me. I don't know what I would do without it. And um, I, I think it's, I think it's really important for people to know that they can create without being loaded. And I know for me personally, I didn't think it was possible, but you know, I'm happy to talk to anybody that does. Cause like, that's a huge component that exercise meetings, helping others, and just, you know, trying not trying to bring more to life than I take. And I, yeah. I find that that balance makes me a happy person amongst all the chaos in the world today. So mm. God, that's a great I, answer. I think you touched on all of it. Yeah. And and I think it's funny because it's been a, a recurring um, topic on this podcast. It's been brought up several times that so many people have thought exactly what you said, that they couldn't be creative without getting high or without whatever it was and then found that once they stopped doing that their creativity got so much better and they were able to to do so much more and uh i think that's uh that's one of the things that i always like to point out whenever it gets brought up because i think there are people out there who do think like oh i gotta you know i, I gotta get loaded to 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 be good at what i'm doing um, and professionals continue to come on the podcast and say, I got so much better once I got clean. Yeah. Me personally, yeah. and a lot of people I know, they were, they never found success until they, they stopped. So, and then, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing for people to, to come to terms with, but I think that it's the way. So. Yeah. Well, I know that was a big thing for Brad too. He really felt like, uh, I think the heroin actually was intended to be an experiment to see if it would enhance his creativity. And, you know, unfortunately it, it ended up destroying him. And it's such a shame because if he had been able to overcome it and, you know, get back to his, his clear headed creativity, I, I think we would have seen even, even more from him. So, um, that always makes me think, you know, whenever we lose, um, and any kind of an artist to, to addiction, you know, what a shame it is because people are like, wow, look at all this great music he created. Yeah. Well, that's what he created when he was fucked up. Imagine what he would have done, you know, when he, when he got his shit together. And so, um, it definitely robs, robs us of so much, you know, robs obviously people individually of, of their, their lives and, and all the things they could be and robs their loved ones. And, and then, you know, robs the rest of the world of the, the contribution that that person could have made. And I love what you said too about giving back. And I know that that's a big part of any 12 step program, but it really, it makes a huge difference. You know, when with addiction, there's so many other co-occurring issues, you know, depression, obviously being a big part and getting out of yourself, getting your focus off yourself and onto other people by giving back, by serving, by, you know, being of service to others makes such a huge difference, especially when you're in a really shitty place in your own life. So yeah, those were, those were good ones. You hit on all the big ones, Sean. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you said it best. Like for somebody with self-esteem issues, like addicts in general, like mm -hmm. me personally, I had like gnarly self-esteem issues. I had low self-esteem. So until I was, you know, doing esteemable acts and, and yeah. building up that, you know, self-esteem, 
you know, I was going to always feel like shitty about myself or look in the mirror. Right. And I'm like, such a loser. I know what to do. Just keep continue getting obliterated. But like when you're, right. you know, when you're doing good things for others and you're trying to help people and you're feeling better about yourself as a direct result, it's like a selfish thing, but it's, it's so funny. Cause it's like, one of the most selfish things ever is like constantly helping people and giving back because it makes you feel mm -hmm. better about yourself and makes you become the person that you deep down always wanted to be to like get where Absolutely. you want to be. It's such a weird thing. Yeah. And those esteemable acts don't have to be something huge. It's not like you have to be mother Teresa. It's just <laughs> doing something to help one person. And then all of a sudden you go, wow, that, you know, that was really powerful for that person and, and means a lot to me. And all of a sudden, I don't feel like so much of a piece of shit. <laughs> really... Hold a door, hold a door for somebody and don't be a dick today. Right. There you go. <laughs> That's a great place to start. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much again. Thank you for being so open and transparent with your struggle. Obviously, you know, you've, you've shared it quite a bit and, and are able to, you know, hit all the high points and, um, but we really, you know, do get a sense of the struggle. And there's so many people that struggle with similar things. So anytime we have somebody on the show that's willing to be open and, and transparent and honest, I just am so grateful for, because I do think that that's how we can begin to break down those walls and help each other by being honest and open and vulnerable and admitting that we all struggle with something. So thank you for sharing your struggle and your victories with us today, Sean. Thanks for having me. Well, Kelly, once again, you've lined up uh, an amazing guest who just had an, an awesome, inspirational story. These are really my favorite podcasts when we kind of hear uh, how people have been able to uh, to kind of rise from the ashes, almost like the phoenix. And uh, it's really inspirational when you can hear uh, what somebody's gone through and where they've gotten to now. And uh, it's just a, it's a real treat. One of the things that I really enjoy about being able to do this podcast. I agree. And so much, so much hope from that. Cause I know there are a lot of people who listen to the podcast that struggle and, and hopefully what they'll take away from this is that there is, there is hope. Definitely. Sean's a great example of that. Absolutely. So thank you, Sean, for coming on and sharing the story with us and, and all of our listeners. And obviously thank you, Saad, for hooking us up with him because yes. that was a, that was a very amazing story. So as some of our listeners may know, my voice is a, a little more raspy than it usually is, um, <laughs> if that's at all possible. Right. Um, so, and that's because we are just coming off of a ridiculous, almost four day, well, not almost four days of just being super busy and amazing music and people. And it all started Thursday, right in Long Beach at Alex's. Kelly, how awesome was that event? It was really incredible. It absolutely far exceeded anything I could have hoped for. It was a sellout crowd. Unfortunately, they were turning away people at the door, but so great that we had a sellout crowd. And the music was amazing and all the performances donated. It just was a phenomenal night. Um, it was so great seeing Raswan. He really, really came out and just blew everybody away. He's looking good. He's sounding great. That was really fun. And then, of course, as you mentioned earlier, Billy wasn't able to make it, but Jacob and Miguel played an incredible acoustic set of sublime songs that anybody who was there will not soon forget. It was very emotional and very powerful. And uh, then Miguel's band Pearl Bravo did a fantastic set as usual. They are always good for a fantastic set. And then it was so great finally hearing um, Eric Wilson's new band Spray Allen live. 
And uh, of course, they nailed it as well. In fact, you had a, a big surprise when you heard Eric singing, huh? Eric was singing. Yeah. He was up there and he said, and it sounded really good. It did. It sounded fantastic. Yeah. I don't know where this, where that came from all of a sudden, <laughs> but the, the guy's flashing some new abilities in this, uh, in this next round here. Yeah. It was just amazing. I'm telling you right now, I, I don't know if they make him any cooler than Miguel. Um, He's the greatest. It just, you know, watching him, uh, you know, go up there with Jake and uh, then seeing Pero Bravo go up and do it. It was just, what an amazing night from everybody. And, and Ras One, um, you know, that was special for me. I, you know, Ras One is back. He went up there and absolutely killed it. The guy's coming mm-hmm. off a of hand surgery. He's playing the guitar. Um, it, it was just, it was such an amazing night to have all of those people. And then, of course, all the supporters who bought a ticket and came out mm, and stopped absolutely. by the merch booth and picked yeah. up some merch or just said hello. It's just amazing. That night was just, again, it's something that I will never forget having all those people under one roof. Um, and you know, Jake, wow. Seeing him up there mm. and, and doing those songs and doing them, you know, his own way, but still paying tribute to, it was just, it was an amazing yeah. night. So it was really special. And it was cool to have it at Alex's too. Anybody who uh, is listening, if you ever get a chance to go to a show at Alex's bar on Anaheim and Long Beach, you definitely want to go. It's a great venue. The people are awesome. Just great staff to work with. And Alex is just an absolute gem. So we were really grateful that he hosted it there and and is giving us a, a great donation from the door for that. So thank you, Alex. Yes, Alex. Thank you so much. And yeah, for you guys listening, if you're, you're locals, you probably already know. But for those of you who are planning your trips to, to Southern California, you're going to be in the Long Beach area, alexsbar.com. Check them out. See what kind of shows they have going on. Uh, just a ton of Long Beach music history there. Yes. Um, the Auto Zone right next door. Uh, Alex was telling me how that used to be the the studio. That was the fake nightclub. Uh, Sublime did a lot of things there. Wow. Just a legendary spot in Long Beach. And uh, thank you so much to Alex and his staff for uh, for hosting and, and allowing us to have such an amazing night. And we were there pretty late. And the good news is, is that we got to turn right around and get up bright and early and head <laughs> back into Long Beach to get set up for three days of Cali vibes. And Oof. that was also just an amazing event. It was filled with some great music. I think uh, we were pretty busy at the booth. Um, we did get to catch a little music here and there, guys. But um, for everybody that stopped by the booth and, again, said hello, picked up a shirt or a pair of socks or just shared a, a, some some positive energy and some good thoughts, it means so much. Um, we can't thank you guys enough. Cali Vibes was just – the weather was good. It was a little windy day one. Got a little nervous that our tent was going to become a projectile. Yes. Um, but but other than that, the weather held up great. The music was amazing. The vibes were great. And everybody that stopped out and showed support, it was just, uh, it was overwhelming, actually. I agree. I was really grateful to get a chance to meet so many people that I've talked to over the years. And everyone was just so incredibly supportive. It was wonderful. It was, it was exhausting. I'm not going to lie. It was exhausting. But it definitely was worth it. So thank you to everybody who stopped by the booth. And there's no way that I can forget to thank your partner in crime, Kelly, Brindy Pepper, who oh, just, oh my she's gosh. She's amazing. 
I don't know. I don't know how we would have made it because not only did she do like all of the real work, but then she put up with all of my shit over the three <laughs> days too. So that's the she, real work, Jerry. Right, right, right. She's a she's a saint for that. So yes, and of course, um, big thanks to our producer Anna as well, who was at the booth with us. Always a doll. Love spending time with her. And people just love getting a chance to meet her. She's the um, she's the real force behind the podcast here that nobody ever gets to hear about. So. So I tell her all the time there, there would be no, I could say all the words that I want, but I would have no idea how to get them out there for everybody to hear them. So exactly. thank God, thank God that we have her. And then, you know, you and her conspire to cut out all the good guys. You're missing all my good shit is what I'm telling you. <laughs> Kelly and Anna are going in there and they're cutting it out, but um, maybe someday we'll do like the, the, the rated, the unrated version. And I'll, Uncut. I'll get all those clips out to you guys. Don't worry. So, um, but yeah, Alex's and then Cali vibes. And it's just been, uh, it's been an amazing weekend of music, uh, an amazing weekend of, of all these firsts. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and of course the Knoll family foundation, um, you know, getting out there and spreading the word Uh, and you guys, we're out there at Cali Vibes and we're out at Alex's for the same reason that we're doing this podcast. And that is to spread the word about the Noel Family Foundation and trying to get Bradley's house up and open. Of course, you can always visit the org or go ahead and click the link that will be located in the description of this show. It'll get you to all things Noel Family Foundation. Find out how you can be a part of helping get Bradley's house open, whether it be your donation or picking up some merch or sharing the podcast or just telling a friend about what we have going on. Uh, it all means so much and it goes a long way, guys. Absolutely. And now we have a special event coming up in about a week and a half. Um, Brad's birthday is going to be on February 22nd. That's the 22222 you've been waiting for, Jarrett, right? Um, I, 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 I told you the other night, I don't want to talk about it too much, just in case. <laughs> I don't want to jinx it. I have to make it to 22222. So. <laughs> well, for the record, Brad's going to be 54. So anybody who's listening, do not come up and ask if I'm his mother. Our mother is a lovely human being. It is not me. I was going to say her age, and then I just realized I better not. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) he is my older brother. He's turning 54 on the 22nd. And to celebrate, our good friends and burritos are doing a show at Sea Legs on Saturday, February 19th at 1 o'clock. Burritos is going to be there. Long Beach's very own ham apple is going to be there. We're also going to have some special guests. It's going to be a great time. It's a free show, but Sea Legs is making a generous donation to the foundation. Burritos is donating their pay from it. So it's it's going to be a great benefit for the foundation and a great time for everybody to get together. So if you made it out to Cali Vibes, great. Come on down to Bradley's birthday bash on the 19th. If you weren't able to make it, it's a great opportunity to come on out and see you and touch bits. Yeah, absolutely. Got a chance to finally meet. I got to meet so many people from the podcast. Wasn't that fun? Um, yeah, like all these people that I've spoke to and that we've had on the show and have shared right. great stories. And then I get to meet them in person. So um, definitely get out and, and support burritos. They uh, they do such a good job. And they're constantly, we'll be out there. Be out constantly there with doing stuff table. in the foundation. Ooh. Yeah. So, well, of course yeah. you're going to be there. Of course, <laughs> of course you're going to be there, Kelly. Although we sold out so much merch at Kelly Vibes. I'm not sure what we're going to have left. Um, well, I thought Brindy was going to be selling hugs, right? That's right. That's right. right. Make right. a donation, Stop. get a hug from Brindy. That's a good deal, guys. What a deal. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, again, 
amazing weekend for the foundation. Thank you so much to everybody who showed your support. Um, and a special thank you to uh, Sean for coming on and sharing his story with us. Now, as we mentioned in the podcast, Sean became friends with Yassad. Uh, before he knew that Yassad was actually the, the drummer in Pepper. And when he found out, he was so shocked because he grew up listening to Pepper and he was a, a Pepper fan. And uh, I think you all know if you listen earlier in the show what happens when you go to a Pepper concert. Um, so Sh- Sean's baby is on the way. Uh, but we always like to end the podcast with a song. So obviously it was fitting to let Sean pick his favorite Pepper song. Kelly, what's Absolutely. everyone going to hear today as we're going out? We're going to hear No Control by Pepper. Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Please make sure you're following all the social medias, the Noel Family Foundation. Until next time, I'm Jared Orr. She's Kelly Noel. We are out of time. You don't have to go home, but it's time to leave Bradley's house. Under no control Broadcasting for